as your people, uh, desiring to be taught by you. So, Lord, we ask that you, you push me aside. Uh, we want to be taught by you, not by some words or opinions or uh, uh, ideas of a man, but we pray, Father, that we would be taught by you. So push me aside, push aside our opinions, push aside our preconceived notions and ideas of, of who you are and what life is all about. We want to be taught by you. We pray that your teaching would, would infiltrate every nook and cranny, every crevice of our life uh, so that we would, we, we would see you more clearly that you would be revealed to us more accurately so that we would fall in love with you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a few months back when we started this series on the book of John, we looked at John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and it says this, All things were made through him and without him, that's talking about Jesus, right? Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. From the beginning, we see that Jesus is the source of life. This is important to remember, okay, where life comes from, why we have it, why we are here, because we know in this life that we have, as human beings, we all have needs, don't we? We all have a thirst and a hunger, and I'm not talking about a physical one. We have a hunger and a thirst in our souls for things like meaning, contentment, Fulfillment. The human race is perpetually starving for things like real love, true success, looking for something to eat spiritually for our souls that would satisfy, that would fulfill for some kind of substance so that we could take it into our lives and make it a part of us so that we could find rest and have peace and hope and experience what it looks like to be and to feel truly alive, to truly experience life. Every human being is born hungry for these things. And as we grow older and experience more of what this world has to offer, things like adventure and entertainment, money, stuff, more stuff, could be political parties or or hobbies, relationships, Homes, careers, schools, neighborhoods, sin. Things like selfishness, greed, pride, the list goes on and on. The more we taste what the world has to offer, the more that we understand the spiritual food and drink that we long for, that we are so hungry for, is so elusive. Last week I brought my family to Bend and on the way there, uh, I saw a mirage. We did. It was a, it was a big one. It was a really nice-looking one. I didn't get a picture of it, but it looked very much like this. Uh, this is not on the way to Bend, uh, but the, the illusion was exactly the same. Right? And the closer that we would get to this mirage, the more it began to move away. And it has this appearance of, of dissipating and moving beyond. We know that it's just an illusion, right? It's a, it's a trick. The sun gives light and it comes through the sky. And as it goes through cold air and enters into warm air, the light bends. And so what we're actually seeing on the ground is the sky. It's an illusion. It's fake. But many thirsty people have been tricked 
by mirages. And they, they chase after those things and they look for that in hopes that it will satisfy their thirst. And much like a mirage in our own lives, we see things in the distance that we don't have. Things that maybe that we apply uh, our desire for. Maybe we see these things and we think that our souls will crave them. Something that we, that we hope that might satisfy our hunger and our thirst only to chase it, only to go after it. And when we do, what we find is that the closer that we get, the more it begins to vanish. Or the closer we get, the more we see these things for what they truly are as deception, illusion. Solomon calls it futility, vanity. In Ecclesiastes, he, he calls it a chasing after the wind, a chasing after a mirage. And actually, this is a quite a serious thing. It's a serious thing when we chase after the things of this world, hoping that these things will fill the void that we have in us. What we're doing is depriving ourselves of the true source of life. What we're also doing is applying our appetites our desires, our affections for the things that are in place of God or in addition to him. And if the most important thing in this life is to love him with everything, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, well then to apply our appetite for any other thing is quite serious. In Jeremiah, it says this in chapter 2, verse 12, be appalled. O heavens, at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Be shocked, be appalled, be utterly desolate, be laid waste and bristle with horror at the thought of this. You get the feel for what he's communicating? Like it's real bad. For what our souls are hungry and thirsty for, for true substance we walk away from. Bristle with horror that we would reject God to turn away from him, to turn away from life, from the fountain of living water, and would instead run toward a mirage to reject God and look for life and food and drink for our souls elsewhere around us, to turn from God and instead chase after all the countless things that this world has to offer. Solomon says it's a chasing after the wind. He, he chased pleasure, material possessions, power, uh, productivity at work, only to realize that if God was not in those things, if God was not at the core and the foundation of those things, then all those things are meaningless, vanity, futility. A Christian apologist by the name of William Lane Craig puts it this way, who am I, man asks. Why am I here? Where am I going? Since the Enlightenment, when he threw off the shackles of religion, man has tried to answer these questions without reference to God. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. You are the accidental byproduct of nature, he is told. A result of matter plus time plus chance. There is no reason for your existence. All you face is death. It's pretty grim, right? But that is the reality of rejecting life. That is the reality of rejecting Jesus because Jesus is the source 
of life. He is, the, he is the source of biological life. He is the source of abundant life. He is the source of eternal life. You take him out and no reason for our existence. It's only death when we reject the author of life to turn away from living water, to turn away from how Jesus describes himself as the bread of life in John chapter 6. It's where we've been for the last few weeks. It's where we are today, and we'll finish up this chapter uh, next week. Last week, Pastor Scott uh, introduced us to Jesus as the bread of life, and this week we get to continue looking at Jesus as the bread of life. So in the story, in our passage, just yesterday, Jesus fed the 5,000. We, we looked at it a few weeks ago, and, and that evening then in the story, Jesus and the disciples, they, they eventually, uh, they, they go across the sea after a, a quick jaunt, quick walk on the lake. They go, they go to Capernaum, and the, the people, the crowd, they wake up the next morning, and they're looking for Jesus. They can't find him, so they, they search for him. They go to Capernaum, and they find him there, and when they find him, Jesus tells the crowd, you are looking for me because of what I gave you yesterday. Your bellies are full yesterday, and now they're empty, and you're looking for me. And he, he tells them, don't work for the food that perishes. Don't seek after me. Don't, don't search for me and come to me for what I can give to you only for your physical needs. You have a need that is so much more significant that you're hungry for on the inside, that, you, that you're not prioritizing, that I came to give to you. So Jesus says you need to believe. You need to believe in me. Believe in him who God has sent. You need to believe in me, Jesus says. You need to believe in me, and that will be a living food, an eternal food for your soul. You're distracted away from your eternal needs with things that perish. Your soul is thirsty. Your soul is hungry. Come to me by faith and believe me. Trust me and I will be, I will be living water. I will be eternal food. And the people say, well, what sign do you do so that we know it's you who we believe in? Kind of like back in the day with our forefathers. They were, they were fed manna in the wilderness. And Jesus says, wasn't Moses who gave the forefathers manna? But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they hear these words, right? They hear these words, but they don't really. They hear bread, they hear life, and they're like, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's perfect. Yes, give us that bread. Give us this bread always, every day. And Jesus just spells it out so plainly. So, so to the point, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am. This is the first of seven I am statements that we find in John, followed by a metaphor, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. This, this I am in Greek is ego ami, two words, and it's pretty descriptive. Okay, back in the Old Testament, and the Jewish people were, were slaves in Egypt. There was a guy named Moses, and he sees a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And he steps closer to that bush, and it speaks to him. And it says, take off your sandal, Moses, because the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And so God has a conversation with Moses, and he speaks from the bush to him. And he says, you're going to go to Egypt, and you're going to speak to Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to get my people out of slavery, out of the hand of Pharaoh. And after a little bit of back and forth, then Moses says to God, well, 
So if I go and I talk to them, and let's just say hypothetically, uh, they were to say, who is it that sent you? (laughs) What's his name? In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In Hebrew, I am is how we get the name God, Yahweh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It translates this I am as ego ami. In John chapter 8, Jesus just comes out. He's very clear about this. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was ego ami, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? To kill him. Because according to their understanding, he was guilty of blasphemy. He was making himself equal with God. He says, I am the bread of life. And then they make his point even more clear. He says in verse 38, I have come down from heaven. In verse 40, he says, this is the will. And he calls God my father and calls himself the son. And because he is the son of God because he is the great I am, because his origin is not of this earth, then he alone can say to our souls, I am the bread of life. Not literal bread, right? He's speaking metaphorically. He's saying he's not just the source of life. He is the substance of life, the sustenance, the nutrients that our souls crave. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. He is the substance of all life, both physically and spiritually, the nutrients, the ultimate sustenance and ultimate sustaining source for everything that we need, which is why he doesn't just say that he is the bread of life, but then he says, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So when it comes to the hunger that we have in our souls, there is only one that satisfies. Jesus is saying, I didn't come just to give bread. I came to be bread. Only one who is everything that we need so that when we go to him and we believe in him, what he offers is himself the bread of life, and when we have him as our bread and we take that in and we we eat of it, he in us, and then our souls will never be hungry again and all our souls need is in him and we'll be satisfied with him. There is only one. John says in chapter 20, this is written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have what? Life life in his name, and there is only one name that we are given. Only one name. There is no other name. He alone is the bread that our souls need. He alone gives eternal life. There's an issue, though. See, there's a contrast in this this picture that John is painting for us. Jesus is speaking these things to a crowd that is searching for him because they're looking for physical bread for their physical needs. And Jesus tells them, you've seen me. You've seen me. I'm right here. This this bread from heaven that gives and is the substance of eternal life. I'm right here before your very eyes. And yet, you do not believe. So what we find is that people can come to him. They can look on him. They They can hear his words and listen to him. But there are obstacles. There are things that prevent us from believing and trusting in the source and the substance of life. 
One of the obstacles for this, and we, we took a look at that last week when Pastor Scott was talking about, is that Jesus isn't what we expect. He's not what's expected. There are those who don't end up following him. There are those who don't end up trusting him. There are those who don't end up leaning completely on him and putting all the weight of their life on him because he isn't what we think him to be. He isn't what what we think that he should provide or how he should provide it. See, the more Jesus reveals himself to the crowd, the more evident it is that Jesus doesn't match their expectations. So when Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life, and then says in verse 38, I've come down from heaven, the people are like, wait, what? First of all, we came here looking for a meal, and all you're offering to us is yourself? And did you say that you came from heaven? And they grumbled. They grumbled, verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know this is just Jesus? Like we know his parents, we know where he lives, we, we could point to where he grew up. Now remember these people just the day before when they had a free lunch, they were looking to force Jesus to be their king. Because they were saying, this is the prophet that was to come into the world. Then they wake up the next morning, they track Jesus down, and when they find him, they find something different than what their definitions of a king is. Different in their mind of what a king does and what he looks like. Different than their assumptions about a savior, about Messiah. Different than their preconceived ideas and thinking about the prophet who was to come into the world, the more Jesus reveals about himself, in this case, as he reveals more to them about his origin, where he comes from, and why he is here, the more the people begin to pull away. And there's a key word that describes their behavior. They begin to grumble. That word grumble means a smoldering discontent, not being content ultimately with what God is doing or not doing. And the result is a complaining born out of discontent. Seems very fitting here that the word grumble is used because in the conversation, Jesus and the crowd, they're talking about the forefathers eating manna in the wilderness. And if we look at the story of the forefathers in the wilderness, what do we find them doing? Grumbling. There's a smoldering discontent, Exodus 15, and the people grumbled. Exodus 16, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Exodus 17, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Wow. Number 11, verse 4, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. They had a strong appetite, strong desire. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that costs nothing, in air quotations, right? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now look at us. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna this bread from heaven to look at, this provision of God. It's not enough. 
We'd rather go back and be slaves again in Egypt and, and, and turn away from the fountain of living water, from the bread of life. They'd rather go back even though God was there and present with his people just like he is today. Even though he was active in the lives of his people just like he is today. He had shown himself to be a, a powerful deliverer. He, he had shown himself to be true to his promises, and he was providing for his people, and he was leading them day and night into the promised land to give them rest and to provide his people with abundance. And all they could do was look back to Egypt and desire to be enslaved all over again. And I, I think that this is still happening today. Jesus, you don't look the way we think you should look. You don't act the way that we think that you should act. You don't give the way we think that you should give. You're, you're not taking care of my well-being like I think that I deserve and what I think is best and smoldering, discontent, complaining, and grumbling is the result, discontent, because we don't believe that God is taking care of our well-being like he should. The Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. <laughs> We're so quick to jump to conclusions. We're so quick to define our circumstances. Don't lean on our own understandings. God has revealed himself to us, and it turns out that God is good. All the time, God is good. And Jesus can be trusted always with everything in all situations, in all circumstances. He is perfectly trustworthy and therefore can be trusted with all things, in all circumstances. He can be trusted in all things. If we're looking to be content, well, then it starts by trusting that God knows what is best. It starts by, by trusting that he knows what he's doing and trusting that he provides the perfect substance, the perfect nourishment for our lives in a way that is always good is to trust. To trust. Just like with real food, isn't it? We trust what we eat. If I don't trust the food that I'm about to eat, there's no way it's, it's going to get anywhere near this, right? And so we, we look at expiration dates. Uh, we, we smell it. We, we give it to somebody else to smell, we, right? We, we, we scrutinize the color. See, to look to Jesus as the bread of life, something needs to happen for us to trust it and to eat it. And there are obstacles with that. Some of them, some of these obstacles are insurmountable, not possible with man, only possible with God. See, what we find in Scripture is, is actually quite mysterious. Even in this passage, there seems to be uh, two sides to one coin. One side of the coin of salvation, there is a responsibility on the part of us to, to come to Jesus and to, to believe in his name. We're responsible for our sin. We're held accountable for it. We're told to confess, to repent, to turn away from sin, and, and to go to the Son and believe, and we're held accountable for disbelief in the Son as well, which results in condemnation. As believers, we have responsibility to evangelize and to pray for the lost. The mystery is that on the other side of the coin of salvation, we see it in verse 37. 
Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All those that the Father gives the Son as a gift, they will come to the Son and trust and believe. And again in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. That word can, no one can. Can is about ability. In other words, no one has the ability to come to Jesus unless, that word unless indicates a necessary condition. No one has the ability to come to Jesus There is a necessary condition in order for that to occur unless the Father draws. And that word draw doesn't mean to coax. It doesn't mean to woo. It means to compel. To compel something to move that wouldn't move on its own. Well, how does the Father do that for us? Well, part of it is shown in verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me He draws us to the Son by revealing, by healing our blindness, by removing the the, the blindness from our eyes. He teaches us so that we could see clearly. And without that teaching, we don't trust the Son. Without that teaching is why 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the word of the cross is folly. It is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? How did it happen? How did it go from foolishness to power? Because in chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolishness to him. And he is not able, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So trusting in Jesus as Savior is not going to happen until we can see clearly, until we can think spiritually and accurately, until our definitions about what we need and what fixes our needs have been shown to us, have been taught to us, and we understand them in a spiritual way. There's absolutely no denying that a response is needed on our part. We're to come to Jesus and believe. So really the question for anyone who has not believed, who has not come to Jesus, is this. Do you feel the Father drawing you? Do you feel God teaching you and revealing to you instead of the foolishness of the cross, but the, but the power and the beauty of the cross? Are you starting to understand the need for atonement of sin, that there needs to be a sacrifice that Jesus offered himself on the cross for you? Are you starting to understand that you need a savior? Are you starting to believe and understand it's because you can't save yourself? Then come to Jesus. Believe in him. Turn away from what the world has to offer and go to Jesus. He alone is the source of eternal life. He alone is the substance of life. And when we go to him, in faith, and when we trust him as our savior, then he does something. This is my favorite part of the passage. Jesus secures eternal life. As the bread of life, he is the source. As the bread of life, he is the substance. As the bread of life, he is the security of eternal life. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Sometimes people can be so distracted by that first part of what Jesus says that they miss the second part. Don't miss the second part. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
To come to Jesus is to trust him, to trust him to be everything you need for salvation and eternal life. And when we go to him, we go to him in need, don't we? We go to him lost. We go to him fearful and insecure. We go to him broken and and sick. This is how we go to him, and this is why we go to him. And when we go to Jesus, who is the source and sustainer of life, we go to him who is the giver and the gift of eternal life. And when we do, whoever comes to Jesus, he says that he will never cast out. Never. Ever. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That word never is a strong double negative. It means never, ever, ever, ever. There is no reasons, no circumstances, no level of brokenness, no matter how dark the past may be, no matter what you have done or what you, where have you been or, or how far away from God that you have run. When you go to Jesus, instead of being cast out, whoever comes to Jesus, he will receive and not turn away. He always receives, always. Praise God for that. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon back in 1889, was speaking of this promise of Jesus, and he said this, but let me ask you, suppose that you came to Jesus and he cast you out. With what hands could he do it? With his own hands, you answer. What? Christ coming forward to cast out a sinner who has come to him, I ask again, with what hands could he do it? Would he do it with those pierced hands that still bear the marks of the nails, the crucified rejecting a sinner? Ah, no. He hath no hand with which to do such a cruel work as that, for he has given both his hands to be nailed to the tree for guilty men. He hath neither hand nor foot nor heart with which to reject sinners, for all these have been pierced in his death for them, therefore he cannot cast them out if they come to him. He has given both his hands and his feet. He has given himself for the world. That is why he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Giving of his flesh for the life of the world, this points to the sacrifice, this points to the cross that he offers for the world. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He gave up his flesh offered his body on the cross to pay the price of sin, to die and make the atonement of sins for the entire world that we couldn't pay, but death could not hold him. He is life. He came back from the dead, resurrected on the third day, and is a living Savior who promises to all those who come to him eternal life. And even though that our physical bodies will die one day, then he promises us the same resurrection for us. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 51, he will live forever.
when we go to Jesus, he will not turn us away. And when he receives us, he will not lose anyone that the Father gives him. And he will raise us up with him forever, to be with him forever. He secures that eternal life for us on the last day. But notice something really important. Eternal life doesn't start with our physical resurrection. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has. Whoever believes has eternal life. The salvation and eternal life of a believer is not only a future thing. It's a very real present thing for us right now, right here today. The bread of life isn't only something that we eat one time to secure a spot for us for the afterlife. He gives us eternal life in this life as well, every single day, every single moment, and ever present sustenance for our lives right now so that when we wake up in the morning, we can eat the bread that he offers. When we go to work or to school, we can eat the bread that he offers. When we go on a hike or, or go to the beach or go on vacation, we can eat the bread that he offers. When we're having coffee with a friend or reading our Bible or, or here at church, when we're in a meeting at, at work, we can eat the bread that he provides, which is him. He is the bread. So what does that look like to eat the bread that he provides? How, how do we do that? I'm going to highlight just two things, two quick things. One way is rejecting other things that have the illusion of satisfying our hunger and what our souls need. The truth is that we can be so filled up, not satisfied, so filled up up with other things that, that we have no hunger or we lack the hunger for Jesus. We can fill our spiritual bellies with so many things of this world that we don't have an appetite for him. We can eat and eat and eat and eat just like Solomon did. And we can consume a variety of things that aren't even necessarily bad things but can be void of the bread of life. We can take Jesus out of it so that we're no longer hungry and thirsty for the real food that our souls need. The question is the, then, is there something that you need to stop eating? Or is there something that you need to bring Jesus back into? Because many things in this life are not bad things. Some things in this life God gives us. They are God-given. A job can be one of those. A family, a home can be. But sometimes those things uh, can be completely absent of Jesus, not in reality, but in our minds, and what we notice, and what we pay attention to, what we, what we talk about, what we're grateful for or not grateful for. Is there something that you need to stop doing or, or something that you need to bring Jesus back into? The second way to eat the bread that he provides is by recognizing that he is always with us. I love Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Isn't that kind of what we're talking about this morning? Keep your life free from the love of money or fill in the blank with any other thing, right? And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like the forefathers in the wilderness, he's with you. He's always working, always providing 
We can see that he's always leading us, protecting us, comforting us, blessing us. We can see how he cares for our needs and is always providing perfectly for our well-being. But it's easy to lose sight of it, isn't it? It's easy to say, well, it's just manna. It's easy to look back and look out instead of up and desire the things of this world that look to enslave us and to work for the food that perishes. See, to eat the bread of life, we need to walk with him by faith. We need to put Jesus on and practice the reality of his presence with us, to trust who he is, to trust what he says, to remind ourselves that he is with us and that he is for us. And when we do, the Psalms says that we taste and we see that the Lord is good. And once you start getting an appetite, once you start getting a taste for him, then you start falling more in love with him. And the closer we are with him, the more we know and experience that there is nothing more satisfying than him. And everything that we need for our soul is found in him. If you've never come to Jesus, if you've never believed that he's the son of God and the savior of the world, if you've never believed that he died on the cross and rose on the third day and is a living savior that offers you eternal life, then I invite you to go to him. Go to him. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you are sorry for your sin. Tell him that that you look to him as the Savior, to look to him as the only one that can provide eternal life, to go to him and eat the bread of life and drink from the fountain of living water. He won't turn you away. And he'll never leave you. If you have believed then I invite you to take the next steps to taste and experience the substance of true life that comes from trusting in Jesus, to turn away from other things, to bring Jesus back into your life, into areas of your life where he needs to be, where he belongs as Lord of your life and as the bread of life. And he will provide you with all that he is as the source as the substance, and as the security of your eternal life. Let's pray. Father, oh, we thank you. We thank you that you saw us when we weren't looking for you, and we were not capable of looking for you. We were not searching for you. In fact, we were enemies of you, and we were dead in our sin. And in that death, and in that sickness that we had, and in that blindness, the spiritual blindness You came to us, you call us, you draw us, you teach us, and you lead us to your son in Jesus. We're so thankful to have you, to have you who is the bread of life, who is the water of life. Help us, Jesus, not to turn away. Help us, Jesus, not to be distracted by a myriad of other things that want to lead us away from you who is true life. Help us to lean on you completely. Help us to not lean on our own understanding and the way that we see our circumstances, the way we we see our situations. Help us to see your goodness. Reveal to us how good you are and how you are good in everything. Reveal to us more about who you are and what you do so that we could look to you as the only source and sustainer of our life 
thank you for holding that promise. Thank you for being true to your promise to bring that to fruition until the last day when you raise us up and be with you forever. That is our hope. And we long for it. We look forward to it, Father, with all of our hearts. Help us to hold on to it and look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.